And we're live. Thank you for coming back for yet another episode. Ignore all the clatter in the background. That's just Doc being Doc, probably pouring wine or some weird stuff. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. I had that on proper authority, even some licensed clinicians. Uh, and so without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. We're going to start with alphabetical order. Uh, Mr. Jeff Hayes, can you introduce yourselves to our listeners and viewers? Howdy, my name is Jeff Hayes. I'm an audiobook narrator and producer. I am the CEO and founder of Soundbooth Theater, and I'm probably best known as the narrator of Dungeon Crawler Carl. I work in a lot of lit RPG, um, and I've done, a, I've done some fantasy, some thrillers, a lot of different genres, but mainly lit RPGs where I live. But I also have been narrating a lot of Sarah King novels. I hear she's pretty cool. We'll have to ask her. Sarah King, can you introduce yourself to our listeners so, and viewers? I am a Alaska, well, I'm an Alaskan author that, God, I started writing when I was three. Um, and I've put out a lot of novels since then. But I have I think I've only published 19 of them out of like 31. I just don't like the other ones. Um, and uh, most of them are sci-fi Uh some fantasy i've done some thriller uh probably best known for um the legend of zero um and outer bounds so yeah uh sci-fi fantasy i was re really big in the indie scene sorry indie scene uh um, like 2009 it was like top in the charts there with uh um the martian i think it was 2009 something no God, I'm I'm getting my dates mixed up. Anyway, it was up there with The Martian and um, World War Z when those two came out. So it was like you know neck and neck with them for like months. But yeah, that's me. Legend of Zero. The next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So I was pulled into meeting them through Doc, uh, and I think Doc, you knew Sarah first. But can you tell us how you met these two fine people? Because you just set this in motion. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was through an army friend of mine, Anna Binder. Um, and so we were in the SDA and we served together at Fort Bliss. And Anna's now retired and up in Alaska. And I got told, you should check out my friend. By the way, she's going to go to Dragon Con. Maybe you guys can hook up. And we were probably in the same room with a bunch of 100 plus other people that we were friends with. And somehow didn't manage to like up because that it's a crazy time, but we did make sure I made a point of trying to reach out or Sarah made a point. We did link up on a, this is proof. Yes. So I am not okay. used to calling her by it her first name. I complete, dumb, complete dumb luck basically. Yeah. Okay. So it, it just really a kind of one of those weird twists and I, and then I met Jeff because Sarah's going, you know, you should talk to Jeff because he's awesome and amazing. And I'm like, I don't know who he is, but that's okay. I'm totally game. I actually have several sound booth audiobooks. Uh -oh. So it just didn't that? click. In fact, my favorite piece, my second favorite piece of swag is from Sound Booth Audio from Dragon oh. Con this year. Really? Seriously. What is it? Yes, it is. Um, 
It's a USB drive with an audiobook on it, <laughs> but it looks like a cassette tape, uh-huh. and it's my favorite. Oh, I'm Back, so glad. One second. Oh, she's got to go get it. Go so, get whose it. idea was it for the cassette tape look? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise my hand on that one. Um, I think, yeah, probably, yeah, it was my idea. I'm, I'm remembering now. I found. No, it. I mean seriously, it came in a case. Yep. There we go. And everything. Yes. Have you have you listened to it yet? No, because I put it in the special <laughs> spot, and then I went, and then I couldn't find it for a while. I was cleaning my room and found okay. it. I put it in with like the "Do not lose this" box. Well, which of course I, I lost the entire box. I'm at least proud of you for cleaning your room. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody else is. <laughs> Jordan Peterson and I approve. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. That's a that's it. I've never seen anything like that, Doc. Yes. I, I definitely love it. So uh, the thing is, I was online one day. Well, not, uh, not I don't know. Saying that you're online anymore, does that even mean anything? Like, it means more when you computers... say you're offline than when you're on these days. It, yeah, it really yeah. does. Because, because our phones are always next to us or we're at our desks or whatever. And there's internet two inches away at all times. But anyway, I was thinking... I was trying to think of a way to uh, make a physical audiobook appealing. And then my brain was like, books on tape. Remember that? Remember when you had to have like 12 to 14 cassettes to listen to one book? And then I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if you could make a cassette into a USB? And then I just typed that into the search and lo and behold, someone had already thought of it. So wow. I went and I I got them I got them produced. Um, so the, what you have there is our what we're calling our greatest hits, which is a, a collection of eight different first episodes from all of our cinematic audio experiences. Plus, I think one of them is actually Tales from the Battered Mind, which isn't cinematic audio. It's a series of three short stories, all by Sarah King, by the way. So you have some Sarah King material with you as we speak. And so, um, yeah, no, this was the one where people were fighting over it in the department. They're like, Do we have oh, an extra man. one of these? Damn it. <laughs> Did you record so, it? The fight. Did, us fighting fight. over it? No, yeah. we don't fight like that. We have, <laughs> we have an infantry. One second. We have a retired infantry NCO and a Marine. We don't fight like <laughs> that. For now, nobody else is going to survive. <laughs> yeah. So, so first, um, you said that they were episodes. So what do you mean by that? I, I don't think I've heard that term. They're like the Did chapters. You... Oh, like chapters? Yeah, so um, here's the thing about what I am calling cinematic audio, which is really just a retailored, remarketed way of saying audio drama. Um, and the reason we don't want to say audio drama is because that puts in mind knitting, um, I think, <clears throat> mainly for most people. So we wanted something sexier. Right. Cinema, cinematic audio, I think, I think tells you exactly what it is. Right. Which is audio that you listen to and you're like, oh, man, it sounds like maybe there should be a picture here, but I don't need it because I'm getting everything I need to tell the story. Um, and uh, so when we do cinematic audio, obviously, it's far more expensive and time consuming to do than simply narrating an audiobook. Um, everything now, most of our audiobooks are multicast already, meaning that we have at least one other narrator, uh, 
backing up the other narrator for the characters of the opposite sex. That's that's like the bare minimum that we usually do. But sometimes we go crazy and we put a bunch of different people in there. Um, but for our cinematic audio, it's definitely multicast, at least four or five different actors. We have sound effects, we have music. And so all of that production time um, means that what we what we have decided to start doing is release our stuff in smaller serialized chunks and we're calling those episodes and even we even have two different series uh, space buns and seance high falls that were conceived of from the ground up as an audio experience and so they were actually written episodically um, instead of us taking a novel and cutting it into uh, chunks so since we're talking about attack we're going to pause on the getting to know them questions because we're going to just no, I think this is awesome because I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Atlanta City Radio Theater Company. No. But they've done, theirs is more like, they do audiobooks as well, but with a cast. And, um, but they're a bunch of, uh, they, they do a lot more classics, like uh, Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress and stuff. But it sounds a lot more like, um, like war, world war, uh, war of the worlds, like radio drama, mm, right? Then right, it's right. then like your audiobooks or even some of these cinema cast books are because, yeah, you, you have sound effects and stuff in yours too, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it is our, our stuff, our cinematic audio products are basically like a radio show. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned classics because we actually have a production of The Wizard of Oz. That's about to uh, be broadcast in uh, at Indiana University. In, nice. Um, uh, that's happening this Saturday, the first episode. And which campus? There's four, there's four episodes total. I'm not. I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. So uh, basically, the extent to which Sound Booth Theater had a hand in producing this one was mainly. Um, through funding, but also some of our actors played some parts. Uh, really, this is um, uh, Russ McGee's show. He's been making audio dramas for a good couple decades now, and he's gotten really good at it. And it's been his dream to to make The Wizard of Oz uh, happen in audio. And so, you know, I know uh, I knew Russ from before. We used to uh, we used to run this festival called the here now festival um I, I was on the board of directors for that for a little bit and that used to happen in kansas city and russ is actually i believe he's the president of that now um but uh you know we knew each other through that and you know he wanted to get this done and he he you know i was looking for to to test the waters with being just a producer and and being relatively hands-off on a production and so he came to me with this and it seemed like well you know he's passionate enough to, that i i feel like he's going to make a good product so um i play the wizard of oz um but i everything else uh annie ellicott is also in it who she was supposed to come tonight but she actually couldn't make it um and then zachary johnson is another actor that we work with a lot he's in it as well both um, of them are amazing yes um and so yeah they're they're we're in it but we i was pretty hands-off as far as production he already had a plan he actually adapted the script from the novel itself so you know, he, he knew what he was what he was doing, so I trusted him, and you know, well, people so, will hear it. Strange question, because I really want to know with this multiple cast thing. Do you have everybody in the same room? No, that would be so much fun. 
and such a pain in the ass to edit. <laughs> um, because uh, if everyone's in the same room, then everyone's everyone's mic is going to be picking everybody up. So you wouldn't be able to really isolate people's lines. So if we do a scene together, then that would mean we have to get it dead on every single person, like exactly how we want it to be done. And uh, there'd be no there'd be no wiggle room as far as editing. Um, so how is it that you get the the by play kind of between two people because yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you still have dot dialogue yeah. between the individuals. So, so, um, the way I do it, which is the cheaper and in my opinion, more practical way to do it is, um, I lay down the foundation usually as the narrator. Um, I do the voices of all the characters and then they're all the characters voices are separated into, into different tracks. And then when it's time to get the other actors, all of their lines are where they want them. I want them, right? They're all placed in, in the audio space where I want them. So then I just direct them over the internet. Oh, cool. And, and so uh, they record into their own system. They send me those audio files, and then I can just edit them in where I did their voice before. Then I just replace myself with them. Um, that's the way I do it. Uh, I, I think this is a that's a that's a rare uh, that may be a rare arrangement. I'm not sure the way Russ does it is he does get everybody together at once, but we're all online. And okay. so everything's streaming and everyone is recording in their own spaces. So you don't get that bleed through problem that I was talking about where everybody's in the same room. But he is more picky about everyone getting this, everything done right in the scene. So it's much more expensive and time consuming, but at the end of the day, you have a higher potential of getting uh, a better quality scene out of it. Okay. okay. So when you talked about, you know, some of them have been purposely built to be cinematic audio when they're not, and you're converting other properties. Is that something you do on your end? Is that something you make the authors do? Yes, unfortunately, I am the wearer of all the hats, and uh, I foolishly uh, take it upon myself to take their novel and chop it up, and you know, remove dialogue tags, remove stuff that you know couldn't be, can be illustrated through audio, uh, remove direction for the performances. You know, like if you're reading a novel. When a person speaks, often the author will tell you in what way they're saying it. Oh, with sarcasm. Oh, uh, you know, they're scared. They're shivering, whatever. All of that can be displayed through performance. So it can be removed from the actual narrative. And, you know, it's actually better that way. Do you think that it speeds up the book? Or not significantly? Oh, it'd probably no. slow it down. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it does speed it up, but not significantly. Like, especially if you're uh, the kind of producer who actually makes use of space, who makes use of rhythm, who makes use of, um, you know, the space between lines when people are talking to each other. We don't just fire back and forth all the time. We say things to each other and we process it and then speak, right? And depending on the situation, we take different amounts of time to process and that's that you know the more you actually use that the more natural the 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 scene feels so so it's it's really um 
it's really a matter of you can manipulate rhythm a lot more without having to put in these dialogue tags all over the place that break up the conversation. So how do you ensure that you keep true to the vision of whoever wrote it? Is that something that you involve them with or is it just your years of experience allow you to do that? Yeah. Well, I, he's I, just picking up dialogue tags. I mean, that's not a big thing, really. That's, I mean, yeah, well, that's, that's, it, it, it depends. Like, so when I first started off, I took out very little. And then the longer I've gone, the more I've discovered what's necessary and what's not to leave in the narration. And um, in the case of uh, a series like Earth Force, um, which is on our platform right now, we have two different, two seasons of that, of that series right now. Um, they're available in both standard audiobook form, which is just me doing the voices, and cinematic audio, which is after I've done the adjustments. So if an author doesn't like one version, you know, doesn't like what I've done with their cinematic audio, well, they have the the word for word version <clears throat> as well. So they, you know they're less likely to complain. So when you go to the cinematic version, does it affect the pacing at all? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to, for me, um, as a, uh, an audio file, right, as a person who, you know, I, I got into narrating um, kind of uh, on a whim. Like, I needed a job, but, like, I didn't <laughs> want to get a real job. So <laughs> I, I went on the internet and looked for things to do and voice acting seemed kind of cool. So I started doing it and then I discovered it was amazing and I had a lot of fun and I just blazed my trail. Um, but I started off as a musician, you know, that was what I always wanted to do. And I re recorded many different songs with my band before I started narrating. So I already had the gear, I already had the experience and I already had an aesthetic that I followed as far as audio before I started narrating. And I think that's why I had, why, why I got a leg up because I already am very um, picky and snobby about sound in, in the first place. So yeah. we've actually, what's that, Sarah? Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Uh, uh, like somebody's the, got to be, so. Yeah. It's not he's, like, he's like my editor on steroids. I will I will say that the books that I narrated after I had my first book out an audiobook, like the way I write has changed because now I think about things like word echoes and, and you know some of the phraseology that looks good on paper, but then you realize your narrator is going to cuss you out if you leave that in. Yeah, um, I've, I I've actually a, had a narrator. Go ahead. Redundancy. Uh, redundancy is what like has has really hit me the hardest as I'm watching Jeff do my books. It's like. You know, you say table three times in, in one paragraph and it just like it like rakes across your brain. Um, and it's not so visible in the written word, but when you're literally listening to every word rather than just like skimming through. Yeah, the redundancy really. Oh, it just makes me, it drives me nuts. I'm so I'm trying really hard to avoid that now. Yeah. And I, I also found that uh, some things like names like I have a friend who's a fellow author from Sri Lanka, so I used his name. And I got a very nasty call from the uh, from the narrator <laughs> about how the hell he was supposed to pronounce that in the day and age where people get really mad if you're wrong. And I'm like, okay, we'll just use his first name and make that a last name and we'll move on. Because uh, I don't always pronounce it right. And we've been friends for a 
couple years. So I start thinking about those things since that call because you know you the last thing you want is a narrator not happy with you because that you know if you make their job easier, you're more likely to get work to get people willing so to work with you. you know? Do you go back and ask the authors? Like, I know uh, I was talking with Davis Ashura one time and he said, yeah, I started adding in accents into my character descriptions because my narrator got really annoyed with me. And he goes, everybody sounds blood the same. Do you have any accents for these guys? I'm like, yes, okay. uh, that is a very selfish request that us narrators um, prefer to have, you know, a lot of variety in, in accents when it comes to well, characters. As a listener, I like it because otherwise, to be honest, you can particularly if somebody is doing a diatribe, you're like, wait, which ver which 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 person character is that again? Yeah. Because in I can cheat in a book and just go, wait, which character is it? And look and, and go, oh, it's that one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's it is also that you know it's it's a narrators don't often uh, practice character voices. Um, you know, specific characterizations. I, I would say that it's rare and very, uh, very appreciated by listeners when narrators are able to do that and do decide to do that. Um, How many? So, um, I, I think right. this is kind of important. Like, so you're like cream of the crop when it comes to doing the voices. How many people on ACX are actually trying to be narrators right now? Because I think it was like hundreds of thousands, and I, I, I bet I bet you could count it as hundreds of thousands if you look at every single producer account that was made. But you have yeah. to remember, think of how many times you've created an account on a website and never looked at it ever again. It's a huge yeah. freaking so, playing field right now. Like I, so, I had to go through dozens and dozens and I didn't find any narrators I liked with, with the books. I mean, I found one that would have worked and then another that it would have worked for a different series. But then um, I had five of my fans like all pipe in around the same time when they found out that my zero series had like come back on the market for audio rights. They were like, you have to go with Jeff Hayes at sound booth theater. You have to I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> like, what? I, I don't. And so like the first four of them, I just like blew them off. I was like, yeah, right. Whatever. Just go away. Stop talking to me. Um, I'm I'm actually nicer than that, but um, normally, like when I get like these these notes out of the blue, it's it's just crap. And but this time, like after the fifth person was like, "You have to go with Jeff Hayes at Soundview Theater," I was like, "Oh, fine. I don't know who this is, but I'll send him a freaking you know message, you know, because one of them made me promise." And I was like, "All right, whatever." And then. <laughs> I was a freaking bitch on the phone because I had no idea who you were. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, you want to do my book? Why? <laughs> like, I literally, I had no idea that like he was one of the top in the business and it just, you know, I have no idea about, about audiobooks or anything, but it's, it's been opening up this whole new world of, wow, this is really cool stuff because I had not been able to get into like listening to audiobooks because it was like this librarian drone, like 99% of the time. And it's just every time I turned it on, I was like, oh God, I can't listen to that. And I'll shut it off. Right. But then I started listening to Jeff do my books. And I was like, holy fuck, this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. So yeah, I, I, he's doing something really different with Soundboot Theater. It's, it's not the same as like, 
So that I didn't know that there was a difference between voice actors and narrators. So like ACX and Audible, they, they're hiring narrators like 99% of the time, right? It's like, so you're, you're hiring voice actors specifically to do audiobooks, right? That's, I think that's the major difference. I, I, okay, so here's the thing. Narrators <laughs> insist that they are voice actors. And I agree in that they are voice actors who specialize in a specific technique. Or one voice? Um, no, some of them. <laughs> I mean, some of them use very that. different voices. I think uh, some of them do. Some of um, them are very good at it. Yeah, like and, Nick Cordell will tell you, he's a narrator, not an actor, and he does a lot of different. And, and he is tortured by at least one of his book be, his authors because Robert Ross will point blank go, "I want to see this British Kenyan accent," and he's going, "Are you serious?" <laughs> Yeah. See, the, the, okay, but here's the difference. For me, I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, think I think it's one of those, because they're really good friends. I've talked to both of them at once, and oh, I think it's one so of those, like, on. picking on, like, he, Robert wrote a scene so that he had to, Nick had to sing in a female, in three distinct female <laughs> different voices, and then create a chorus. So he just He's like, I'm just challenging you. You said you wanted a challenge. And he's like, mm. <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, that like so that what's your... Like so much fun. <laughs> so what's your process when you get a manuscript? Do you do anything to... Or do you just like look at it? And obviously you do inflections and stuff when you're doing your first read-through, the non-cinematic stuff. Is there any prep work you have to do once you get the novel um, before you're ready for that? Like, what's your behind the scenes? Because I've always been curious and none of the narrators I've talked to have ever... Like spilled the beans, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, first of all, um, any new narrators out there, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first, I, I would say the first five years of my career, um, I have been, I've painstakingly uh, pre-read everything. Um, and it got to, it got to a point where, um, I couldn't anymore because I started a company, a production company. Um, and that took so much more of my time as well. As, I mean, like not only that, but the longer I've been narrating, I became more in demand. So more jobs were coming in for me. And I'm like producing and making deals with other people that I'm not even doing the narration for. I'm just doing a voice uh, here and there. Um, so I got really busy and I discovered that I'm really great at cold reading. I, I discovered that. I did not, <laughs> I did not plan on it and, and it just happened. Um, so now I, I, one out of 10 books, maybe one out of eight books I pre-read, but I will say that there's a good two or three percent quality difference when uh, I pre-read a book than to if I'm reading it cold. And for me, that's a big difference. For me, that's like you know, I, this is not so. I'm not like bragging here. This is something that I, I'm I'm a bit ashamed of that I don't pre-read as much as I should. <clears throat> uh, but pre-reading, what that does is it prepares you for the tone of the the book as you go along it prepares you for the tone of each individual scene 
the order the scenes go in, it's important your tone is still you know important in those contexts. Then who the characters are. Sometimes there's like a heel turn. Sometimes sometimes there, you got a secret bad guy talking in chapter one, and then you don't find out they're the bad guy till you know chapter twenty. Um, and you know if you'd known they were a bad guy in the first place, you might add a little extra bad guy flavor to their voice just to give people a little hint. You know, like, I mean, I think that's a little on the nose, but my point is there are things that you learn throughout reading the entirety of a novel that can inform choices that you would make in the beginning. Um, and also, you know, as I'm reading, I'm getting to know the characters and I can develop their voice in my head much better as I'm going along, as I'm pre-reading. And I, uh, you know, if, if I start reading, if I start narrating a book and I already feel like I know the characters, then it's much easier for me to, to, you know, zip along and, you know, it's not just about speed of narration, it's about being confident in the character choices that I'm making. So, pre-read, narrators. Always pre-read. <laughs> yeah. So like a standard template you give your authors and say, hey, this would really help me if you give me this information about the various characters? Nope. I tell them, give me as much information as you can about your characters. Tell me oh, you'd be drowning in documents from me. That would be bad. <laughs> no, I, I would love it. I would love it because that, I mean, again, that's, this is kind of the difference for me is like, Every every little project is a puzzle. It's a it's a it's a problem solving opportunity for me. And 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 it, you know you're giving me the opportunity to be prepared before I encounter this character that I'm about to be. Um, I want to be that character to the best of my ability. So you give me the the more details you give me, that's all just tools. It's all just information for. Well, not actually. It's more like. I know which tools in my toolbox I need to pull out for that character at that time. So, so there's been a lot of push towards uh, all, a lot of authors and creators are trying to do more direct to customer sales because the percentages that you get from some of the big companies who we will not badmouth on the show, but everyone knows who I'm talking about are not always the greatest, especially when it comes to audiobooks. Mm -hmm. So do you guys at Soundbooth Audio offer any kind of like direct to consumer sales on your website? 100%. Um, this is, this it's is funny that you said that. It, yeah, funny that you mentioned it. Um, so I have been for the past two and a half years developing um, Soundbooth Theater's own app, and we have a market on our website. You can buy certain things directly from us, and we don't have to share that money with anybody except for the transaction fees, you know, and then the authors, of course. Um, and let me tell you what, there's a good reason why some certain people take a big chunk of the profits because it is hard work making one of these platforms go um they I believe you you know they put they i mean essentially you have to think about it billions of dollars decades of development into their system um they're in position you know uh no doubt about it and you know whatever complaining we can all do um the only thing we the only thing that matters is whether we put our money where our mouths mouths are 
and that's not just money going there it's it's stress and time making deals uh you know getting to know authors selling people on the idea that they can make money on your platform and you know, that's not easy to do they basically um, have to convince authors like me that um it's better to take the hit to like um i don't know audible has like these these avenues that you're going to get a lot more publicity out there yeah it and, be like audible exclusive and then they, yeah. they wait you higher in the the algorithm and if you and then even if you if you produced it from somebody else not through audible even though it's an audible exclusive they weight it differently yep yep so uh, it's yeah, it's it's like this massive monopoly that you know the only way you're gonna get around having a monopoly is to actually like you know take the chance and i'm i'm all for taking big chances like that so i'm like all my stuff is getting migrated to sound booth theater and i feel really good about that i think it's a, a really cool thing to be doing from like the the ground up um i just i'm i'm trying to get my friends you know i have a lot of author friends i'm trying to convince them okay you know ditch the big the big corporations and let's let's go you know independent and they're like ah, i don't know about that <laughs> it's like it's really hard um to convince people to like break away from the system but me i'm i'm in all the way like I, that's that's just the way i am um well, I think that's one of the things I've talked to Veronica Jaguer. I'm probably butchering her last name, so sorry, V, uh, who's the narrator I've worked with before, and she narrates some, that's how I found her. She narrates Terry Mixon stuff, and I absolutely love the work she does. <clears throat> if I wrote more female characters, I'd definitely hire her. Uh, and one of the things I've, I've realized, you know, through outsource, you know, sourcing it on your own, it's very hard for, you know, up-and-coming authors to make any money at audio. Most of the time, it's a money loss because the amount of money you spend to produce it and then, you know, Amazon's taking such a big cut or Audible specifically. And it's just it's it's almost to the point where I know a lot of smaller time authors are thinking, well, maybe this AI stuff gives me a chance to at least have something out there. Although I've listened to some of the AIs and it's not the same quality as what you get. No, if, if, a, if a human does it, they're just they don't get the inflection and stuff. And so I don't think the technology is there as humans can be either. True. true. Yeah, no, true. Oh. <laughs> uh, I've heard some, so I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting issue with is the audible audio book, you know, market. Because on the one hand, you, you want that what you know what Jeff's talking about bringing to it, which is that personality, that sense of excitement that you can get through through the the way the person reads the book to you. Whereas uh, AI is going to be kind of robotic. But on the other hand, like the barrier to entry is so high that there's a lot of good books, and I know plenty of people because I've got some of my readers that are visually challenged. And if it's not an audiobook, they can't read it. And there yep. are a lot of good books they'll never get access to because until we find a solution that's viable for, you know, more people, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate. Well, so I, I like that you're, I, you're trying to be that solution. Yeah. Working, working with Jeff opened up this massive new audience that I didn't even know existed. Um, that yeah, they're, they're blind or they're, um, they're driving all the time or a lot of truckers yeah. Uh, traveling yeah that's, uh, and then that's how i i got into audiobooks is somebody goes oh well you live in atlanta according to your bio and i went uh yeah and they went it's not creepy it's really in your bio they sent me a screenshot to prove that it they weren't being creepy that it was right there open and honest i'm like i believed you 
it's okay. Yeah. Um, and they were like, but you live in Atlanta, which means you have traffic. And, and like, <laughs> fair enough. They're like, just, and they, they went, please just try it. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. This person was so earnest. And I couldn't really argue with that. I didn't have to drive in traffic anyways. <laughs> so that got me hooked. But yeah, it's, it is interesting. Some of it. And did you, uh, hmm? Did you ever um, download that uh, that one from Soundbooth? I I think I either sent it to you or gifted it to you or something. Um, I think it was Vampire Queen. I I did, but I have not gotten to it yet. I promised myself that promised that I would get to it, and then I haven't been listening to audiobooks because I've been working on some other things so much that uh, there's too many voices in my brain trying to figure out other things. Oh man. So that was just an extraordinary, um, like, it, it's a perfect example of how Jeff and Annie play off of each other. And, oh, it is. oh my heard, God. I heard, like, a snippet of it, and then um, just things got crazy, and I ended up having to switch to an educational book for something else that I was studying. Life gets weird. Yeah. No, no. It's like, if I had to give an example of, like, a really, really good like uh, production that they have done, that would be the one that I send people to, which is, you know, I, that's why I sent you to it. It's like, wow, this is what they do. You know, this is really good. Um, yeah, I was just I was shocked at how awesome those two played off of each other in that book. Yeah, Sarah, can you what, what, can you uh, tell tell them a little bit more about Vampire Queen? Vampire Queen. Okay, so <laughs> I'm a sci-fi author that I've, I'm very logical and, you know, I'm, I'm not really into the, the heavy romance genre. Um, I, you know, I, I think, okay, well, if vampires really existed, they wouldn't be nice people because they literally have to, like, feed off of people to survive. And nobody that's, um, like, you know, immortal and they have all this money because they've accumulated it over time, they're just not going to be nice people. So I was like... I never thought it was very um, realistic, like the vampire genre, and I, I freaking hated it. Like all the, uh, so what I did was at like book number, it was like book number 30 or so, I was like, all right, I'm gonna write a vampire story that's not the usual vampire story. I'm gonna do it differently. I'm gonna do something that's like totally not genre. And, uh, that's just it's just my take on a vampire story and it, i i like to explore like the it was the idea of immortality um creating mental trauma in people um because you know uh, for instance like the people that go to um valhalla right they're supposed to be stuck in this um this never-ending fight forever right you know odin and mm -hmm. uh Frank They'll have these people in, in this never-ending fight. And it's like, how is that going to affect somebody's psyche if they're just stuck in this fight forever, like this this never-ending battle? So there's a lot of Norse mythology in there. There's a lot of... Um, basically, I, I, I stole little tidbits of mythology like from all over the world and like stuffed it in this vampire story, which, you know, so it's, it's not a normal vampire story. Um, so it's not what you think. You know, you, you see Vampire Queen, you're like, oh my God, it's going to be another fucking twilight or something but no no i promise you it is not it's uh 
very different. Well, I think, <laughs> there I can think... only be one Twilight. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can handle more than that. I, I think the Hon samurai so honestly... sword on the on the cover is a dead giveaway that it's not a typical. Oh yeah, no. Story. Though I mean, honestly, I will say this: anything that gets people into hooked on reading. Yeah, I, I will tolerate anything that gets people hooked on reading that is not twisted in a bad way. So, given how you described that, Sarah, were you inspired <laughs> by the TV series The Highlander? The Highlander. <laughs> yeah, it talks um, about the effects of immortality and how it how it changes people. No, actually, I think oh, I was probably. Seven when that movie came out. Oh no, I haven't seen the TV. I don't watch. I'm I'm in Alaska. I don't watch a lot of TV or anything. I have like stuff to do outside and stuff, so I don't. I'm not a TV fan. Just said I have important good stuff to be doing. <laughs> no, no, it's not like that. No. It's not like that. I have chickens. I I like. I raise chickens. It's my my hobby. I have ninja chickens that are like the black skinned ones. And have you ever seen the the no. YouTube the, where you like call the chickens and like thousands of them come out of the woodwork like fucking cockroaches? Yeah, those are my yeah. chickens. <laughs> you have all the eggs. What? Yeah. You have all the eggs. She's an egg bird oh, yeah. now. Yeah, I have. I just had uh, my first batch of the year detached yesterday. I'm so excited. So you're hatching them and not eating them. Well, my dog eats them. <laughs> Savage. All right. So what was so so what was it like, uh, Sarah, when you were working with with Jeff in Sound Booth Theater? Like, what was that experience like for you? Eye opening. I had no idea how much work went into it because um, I've watched Jeff like retake the same line and cuss at the same line at least like 30 times in a row, just like, you know, getting to the point where he's like steaming and gonna like fucking go to the bathroom or something to, to you know, get, get out of the booth because he's, you know, having a serious issue. I, I had no idea, but that, it just like, it makes sense to me because that's what I do with the writing. If something's not working, I will literally stare at that same freaking paragraph or that same sentence for half an hour sometimes until I can get it right. And, uh, and then apparently I, d I still don't get it completely right because then when Jeff tries to read it out loud, it, it uh, doesn't come out right. <laughs> like today when he was doing the ad, I wrote an ad for him um, for the Euro series and he was trying to, I guess one of the lines that I wrote was like, it, it should have had like three breath moments in it to, to take a breath, but it had none. So like watching him go red faced as he's trying to like, you know, get this all out in like, like a really gruff, deep military voice. Like this. And I'm, getting I'm squeaky. Like this. <laughs> yeah, he's getting squeaky at the end. It's just, it was really funny, but sad because I felt bad because I wanted to fix it, but I was on my phone and I didn't have my computer. <laughs> um, it worked out in the end. It did. So we've interviewed, uh, this is before Doc came on the show, back when we were the sci-fi shenanigans, we interviewed a Miss Jay uh, Koyangi, I'm probably butchering your name, so if you're listening, Jay, sorry, and she worked with a company called Serial Box Productions, which was basically doing what you're calling cinematic audio, but they were almost like episodic scripts, like what you used to yeah. get when people would around I the believe, big box radio. I believe they rebranded 
um i think oh what is the name of their their studio now oh man Ooh, I'll, I'll remember. I will. But yeah, I know. Who, but who so one of the things they did because they were releasing episodically. And if you're charging full audiobook prices for that, I mean, you've just priced yourself out of the market. Like if exactly. you're spending 20 to 30 bucks a book and it's not like it's just one episode. So one of the things there's one of the things their solution to obviously they obviously they offered subscription services. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys do over at Soundbooth Theater or maybe are planning for not yet. for your stuff I mean, since you're doing so the episodic? We have a different subscription model planned. We haven't incorporated it yet. Um, first of all, we do not we do not charge fifteen to twenty dollars per episode. Uh, I think the most we've we've charged for an episode was five dollars, um, and that one was, uh, I believe, three and a half hours long. Um, each of our episodes range from forty five minutes to about two hours on average. And we, we charge something like two ninety nine on average, I'd say, per episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the current subscription model we're looking at and, and looking to incorporate in our platform and our market at the moment uh, is more of a more like you're subscribing to a magazine where um, right. you subscribe that costs. It costs you nothing to subscribe. But what that means is the next release the next episode that comes out in that series, you, it gets automatically added to your library and you're automatically charged a discounted rate for the episode. So let's say it's, a, uh, we haven't decided a percentage, but let's say it's 20%. That means that if each episode is two ninety nine, then you're getting, you know, 60 cents off each episode, right? And, and you can so if you someone wanted any time, oh, the, the, the idea is you can cancel any time. So like if if we jump the shark in the middle of the series and you're like, yeah, what's what is this garbage? Then you can just you can unsubscribe. You don't have to spend anymore. But really, well, all, all this is about for us is, you know, making it easier for people to purchase um, and making it easier for people to, to commit to some, you know, to to a whole series. Um, and, you know, it's it's just about. I, I don't I don't like putting it this way, but it, it kind of is. Um, it's it's almost like you're removing the pain from the purchase by by just saying, hey, <laughs> look, just hit the just hit the button, forget about it. You're gonna get your content. You're gonna be happy. It's like Jr.'s uh, buy all button that he wants Amazon to put in for authors. Buy, the buy, what? Buy, buy all, like buy buy their entire the oh. entire catalog. Is what you mean? I, I'm yeah, like, I'm the profile, just click buy all. We have that button. We have we have oh, that button wow. for series. Yeah, we have a buy all button for for series. So, so you, there you, so go, you mentioned that you could please please come use it. There you go. So <laughs> you mentioned that you. Doc, calm down. You mentioned that you could subscribe. Are you when they subscribe? Are they subscribing to like the Sound Booth Theater? Uh, newsletter that does it is it just by series. individual series that they're subscribing it's it's so just, they can a la carte which ones they want exactly we don't see yeah, just... yeah i don't i don't like the idea so for me i think that the su subscription model for media um where you just pay a certain amount and then you have access to their entire library i think that's in ways exploitative towards not just consumers but the but the creators right like uh, you never know how much a purchase is worth. You never know what a person's uh, patronage is really worth. And a lot of the time people will, like, for instance, myself, I have a lot of subscriptions to different things. 
and I maybe use each of those things once or twice a month max, right? And so on the surface, the potential for me to take advantage of the $15 a month it requires for me to to have a Netflix subscription. Yeah, potentially I could watch a t a, a, an entire series every day, you know, and that $15 has stretched really far, and I think that's the way they try and sell it to you. But in reality, I have stuff to do. So it doesn't matter how many things, you know, I'm... Bring the important stuff. Right? So, like, I, I, I can't watch all the series. I can't, I can't, I can't make that $15 a month worth, worth what I spent. So it takes a lot of time to write a book, and it takes a lot of time, I've noticed, to narrate a book. So it's like, these, both of our creative endeavors are, like, huge time sinks, like... You literally, like, you have to look at it like it's going to take, you know, three weeks, four weeks to, to write this book or, in his case, narrate this book. And it's just, I, you know, most people don't think of that when they're they're thinking that that writer over there, why aren't they putting out the next book or something? You know, it's, it's time intensive. It takes a lot of sitting your ass in the, the seat and actually, like, putting the words down. Or in his case, narrating them. <laughs> Sorry, I've got, I don't know if you can hear it, but I think my dog is barking at a moose in the background. I just hope he doesn't jump the fence and go after it. Yep. That certainly has me very worried for your dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they'll kill him. Um, I almost ran into it on my walk to the barn today. I've got this, like, really narrow little path and, like, three and a half feet of snow in either direction. And so if that moose caught us on the path, we would die because it's faster and it's got really long legs and it can just like plow through the snow and a, a human being is just going to flounder. So, um, yeah, I, I hope he doesn't jump the fence and go after the moose. That's all. <laughs> well, like, uh, <laughs> that, that's a definitely an adventure and um, get a taller fence. No, uh, well, it's just, it's Alaska, so we get a lot of snow. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I had an NCO who used to tell a story about being at Fort Drum and that he was there, he reported in winter, and then um, went home on vacation and there was this great thaw, and he goes, there were fences that I'd never seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I am desperately curious, Jeff, what, how many accents can you do? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I think depends. I've heard him do like 60, you know, just listening to him. But whatever. I'm <laughs> like, just yeah, like, I don't know. he can take all these different accents and then he can add like different inflections and he can add different, like, um, like, what would you call that? A pitch. So it's like multiplied. He can do a shit ton. Yeah, so if we're talking specifically accents, I'm going to say I have 10 accurate ones. I got to check on my dog. <laughs> Go check on the dog because we, we love doggies here. And um, yeah, no, we love doggies. Go make sure doggy's still alive. Yeah, so I think I can do 10 accurately. Um, and I'm pretty good at faking... Uh, a, a good number more than that. It really is about just kind of um, 
thinking about regions, thinking about people, uh, playing with rhythm and melody. Those are a little bit more important than act than the actual, you know, vowel and consonant sounds. You know, mm -hmm. like having having a convincing, relaxed melody and and um, and really putting the character in there. You know, like making sure that you get the person out of the accent. And I think that a lot of accent inaccuracies are easily forgiven if your character feels real. So um, 10 maybe accurately, but like I use those 10 accurate ones to make up and fake. Yeah, to make accents. up. A... He multiplies. Yeah. Uh oh, a I think of it like I had a teacher who was from out, but he was also he spoke Queen's English and it was different. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean the UK has so many different mm -hmm. accents, and that's probably where most of my, where where I'm counting most of the accurate accents from is the UK, and then of course here in the US <laughs> we have a few, we have a few. So, uh, I think there were like at least twenty just in the first Legend of Zero. Um, well, if you if you combine like the first two Legend of Zeros, there were, there was at least like maybe thirty. Just in those two? Probably not. I mean, I mean maybe voices, but not Yeah, not voices. Accents. I'm sorry. Not yeah. accents, but yeah. voices. I mean, yeah, it was for, really impressive. For Zero, I, I, I leaned a lot on German for the Ureki. Yeah. Um, that was, that was uh, and I, actually for the Dasha as well, uh, I did some Russian. Definitely did some Scottish for the, uh, the uh, Vaga characters, which turned out to be one of my favorites to do. Um, and I think that's pretty much, oh, and then uh, some Northern English and English, of course, like Queens English. Right. And then, you know, up North, they have, uh, uh, actually an older accent. The, the Queens English, the posh British is relatively new in the history of the UK. Um, famously, this was, this is an accent that was introduced by a certain King uh, who I don't. I don't know who the king is, but, uh, you know, rather like people weren't allowed to make fun of him. So they just kind of imitated him for clout. And eventually it became the accent. They did that. that you they did that with now. Castilian. Sorry. They did that with Castilian Spanish too. Um, the, yeah, the king. The lisp, the, the, the yeah. The lisp lisp. Thing. <laughs> yeah. So what did you say your favorite was? It, it, it varies. Um, Currently, my favorite my favorite might be Scottish. Before that, it would have been Irish. Um, I really like. What did you do for Forgotten? What was his accent, or what was that? Was that was no that was a that was a Northern English. So, God, I love that one. That I was saying that it's a bit older than the the posh British one. The the Northerners would make fun of the Southern Londoners. Because they use a lot more of the R sound, like bath, grass, right? Uh, grass, bath, same as us Yanks over here, over here um, with the northern accent. So Every time I hear Forgotten Blind, I just go squee inside. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. I just love his, his, like, man, you just nailed those so well. It was like some of the most potent scenes in the entire series, and you just, like, fucking hit it like right off that was awesome just fucking awesome I, I, made me very happy Jay Bruce, man i just i just love him <laughs> out of the park love him. yeah <laughs> so 
getting back a little bit and then we're going to need to wind this up, but this sounds great. And we'd love to have you guys on again. JR had to step out and he told me that he loved having you guys on. So thank you for coming. And um, if our listeners have a lot of questions, we may end up making more of these episodes. If you'll come and humor us and our crazy questions. Yeah, sure. Just, just get, just give us plenty of, uh, plenty of uh, lead time. So yeah, yeah. It, this was fun. So if an author is going, Hey, I, I, this sounds really awesome. I really want to get my book in with you guys. The process for them is going to be a little bit like, I, I understand there's going to be like some nitty and some gritty and some contract stuff, but like the general overarching process is going to look something like they email you and send you their manuscript and say, by the way, I love you. Please, please, please pick me or what? Uh, yeah. Um, all of, all, all of that, uh, helps. Uh, but what what's what's going to help even more is um, numbers, right? Be a bit. We have to we have to we have to see what else you you know you've published, um, you know whether it be traditional or you know indie through Amazon. We have to see rankings and stuff. We have to see basically evidence that um, it's it's going to be uh, profitable for us because we do work on a royalty share basis, just like any other you know. Uh, any other independent audiobook production company out there um however like recent like in the near future it's going to be a lot harder um for us to take on work because we are um we're tr we're trying to be risk averse at the moment because of how much risk we're putting into the platform itself um we're we're yeah. building yeah. it out more and more and you know any any production we take on we put a lot of effort into and we put a lot of money into and so we, we, we do need to see like some momentum. Do you have a fan base? Do you have a Patreon? Do you have uh, are you on Royal Road and do you have followers there? Do you have a, uh, do you have a, a really tight newsletter that when, when I say tight, I mean like, are your fans engaged? Are your fans opening your newsletter? Are you know, like we, we need to see um, basically profitability in whatever you send to us. Um, but we also need to really like the work itself. You know, I'm getting pickier and pickier as I grow older and as I, uh, as I continue to, uh, hone my craft. So, uh, I, I really, I, I, I try, like, I, I'm kind of, I, I mean, I say I'm picky, right? But I'm also like nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hate being nice. It's the worst because then, like, people send me things, and I'm, like, kind of interested. I think this concept is cool. And then I'm kind of used to, like, you know, forgiving authors for writing that I don't necessarily like. And so I'll, like, find a place in my heart for your manuscript. And, like, uh, I hate that. I can't stand that about myself. Um, but point is, point is, it's got to, it's got to, it's got to hit on both, right? It's got to be marketable, and it's got to be, it's got to be well-crafted. Yeah, well, because we've had some authors come on and, uh, like, there was one who she does cyberpunk. She goes, there'll never be an audiobook because too much of what she does is, like, text messages with mm -hmm. the abbreviations. And she goes, it just doesn't translate. <laughs> okay, so we just released a, a free cinematic audio called S1R3N. And 95% <laughs> of it is text messages. Oh, Wow. So go ahead and maybe, check that out. 
It's free. <laughs> it's by an author named Ben Wolf. And uh, yeah, we, we can do it. Like, like there's no, that's the thing. The things that are challenging in audio, we can do it. It's just, is it going to Okay. That's, that's the question. Yeah. I think we made S1R3N sound good. So yeah, uh, that, th that's the weird thing is not only do, are we looking for crazy, interesting things, but we're creative when we know how to deal with interesting problems. No, that's awesome and amazing. Um, so I feel like we just touched the top of the iceberg, but I also feel we got a ton of great information from you because no this is where we normally would ask, is there anything we didn't cover? But I feel like there's a lot we didn't cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I feel I feel greedy. Sarah Sarah needs needs some more uh, needs I know Sarah's more. like, oh I, we can just stay because it's not gonna take that much longer. Sarah, you, you we will have you back to talk about <laughs> any of your books that you want to talk about yeah. because also, if you have her here on her own, then she can start telling you about all the bad things that comes with the sound booth theater and working with me. She'll she'll tell you some stories. Actually, I have I have oh, stories sure. about other I have stories about other um, voice actors that really fucked me over like hardcore, and that's why I was such a bitch to Jeff when he when he like contacted me. I mean, me. I admit this: you're giving them. I mean, the joke I make with all my author friends when they have publish a new book is oh congratulations on your book baby um yeah, yeah. but it's true because it is your baby you've put your sweat your blood and yeah. often a lot more than nine months of gestation time into it oh yeah yeah so i mean like that this do you want me to tell the story here of how i eventually you know trusted sound booth theater enough to do the the books after getting like screwed over for God, it's like $11,000 by voice actors. I mean, you don't have to, but if you yeah, want it was it was bad. So the time my, you can do it. Yeah, so so my fans basically they knew about how like two different voice actors had kind of, you know, screwed me over and one of them had held on to the rights of the Zero series for 7 years until the ACX contract expired. Um, and he didn't do the books like ATX, like, okay. So he took my money, which I should have seen as a scam from the beginning, but then he wouldn't release the, the right or with like, okay, so I wanted my money back, but the only way I could prove that he had like taken my money is by keeping the contract going. And ACX is like, well, we can just cancel this contract because he clearly hasn't done the work. And I'm like, but he, like, it'll just, like, dissolve. And then there's no proof that he was going to do it. And there was, you know, this agreement. And so for seven years, I was basically, like, in this limbo of hell. And that was, like, all my books, not just zero. So when I, I had a really poor... Uh, view of voice actors in general. I mean, I was just like, oh my god, you know, another voice actor. I was just going to not get anything done in, in audio ever because I was just so frustrated with that. Uh, they seemed like con artists to me. Like, all of them must be con artists because, you know, two of two, of two ended up screwing me over. <laughs> so, I don't know. Jeff's, Jeff's told some stories about um, how a lot of the the you're muted. There you go. Third time was a charm for you. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. I'm like, so Jeff 
told me some stuff about like how there's there's some cons going on in the voice acting community like not not you guys but like obviously not you guys but like <laughs> um like they'll Something they'll take me if it was you she would not have hesitated to call you out on it. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's for, for sure that's true um but i can't remember what they were but you were telling me that they they take books from authors and then like pretend to own the book and then like um get get like some voice actor involved for some reason i don't, I don't remember what the con was but it sounded like pretty awful it's, um do you it's really not a con it's it's just uh, it's just a method that like okay so they they will sign a, an author right and then they'll get another uh, they'll get a narrator to do it in royalty share right but they know that it's not going to make very much money right and we're talking about like a publisher that and 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 so it ties up that book's rights with a narrator who's inexperienced who's not going to do a very good job and so it's just a product out there making maybe a little bit of money for the for the the publisher and making virtually no money for either the narrator or the author who actually put work into it is what i'm saying that's that that's i, I don't i wouldn't call that a scam yeah i think i think you, just... okay so i i got think i got it wrong um you were talking about how um authors that didn't claim their books they can like if you go on acx you can literally claim like yes. any book as your own that's true and so people People were going on ACX, which is where you do the narrating thing. I don't know how much you know about the the narrating business, but um, so authors will go on ACX and they're supposed to cl claim only their own books. But these people would claim um, like other people's books. They weren't getting caught, and then they were presenting those books as their own and looking for narrators, right? Yep. yep. And then some poor narrator would put a bunch of time into it. And, you know, they, they start making some royalties when they get it published. Yep. And then the book gets yanked. Yep. The narrator put all that time into it. The random Joe that that stole the book still gets those royalties. Yeah, but, but they get banned. Um, they get banned. I mean, like, ACX, ACX brings the hammer down, but they can just start a new account. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... We're unfortunately running out of time, but I wanted to give everybody here an opportunity to tell us where our listeners, because we do know that they like to listen to things, can find both of you. So uh, let's go with Sarah and then we're going to go with Jeff because I'm quite sure he has a long list of please go here. So um, you can just search me on Amazon. Sarah King, but what I really like to push nowadays, because my Amazon fan base is pretty, like, rock solid, um, I push for people to go check out Sound Booth Theater, because honestly, what they're doing makes my, the words on my page, like, it literally depresses me to read my own work after I hear what, like, say, Annie and Jeff do. Like, it's, a, it's like, they put the color into it that it just doesn't have when it's on my page so like i have aphantasia which means i can't see images in my head so i shit you not when i'm listening to those two do one of my books i can literally fucking see it it is amazing so i i send as many people as i can that way because it takes something that was 
pretty good to start and it just makes it phenomenal. So I, I love their stuff. I just send people to Sound Booth Theater. Just go there. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say too. Soundbooththeater.com. <laughs> you know, I, I could look. All right, real real quick, I'll be real with you. Where we make all our money is Audible, right? Dungeon Crawler Carl is kind of taking over the world right now on Audible. I'm going to be talking to Audible personally next week to see about maybe doing a different deal with Dungeon Crawler Carl that could get it even further out there. Um, but, uh, I mean, if if you haven't checked that out, please do. You will. It is the first lit rpg that i've ever narrated that i would recommend to absolutely anyone lit rpg <laughs> is such a niche uh such a niche genre and don't get me wrong i like it i like it but there's plenty out there that someone who doesn't like it would say why why is this <laughs> happening to me um so, I, right uh Dungeon Crawler Carl is in no way that way. It's it is easy to follow and incredibly incredibly compelling. Um, but really, go to soundbooththeater.com because that's where that's where we need more people. I mean, Audible has as much reach. You know what? There's going to be plenty of people picking up Dungeon Crawler Carl. Yeah, go but, indie. Go indie. Go soundbooththeater.com. Pick up Sarah King stuff on there. Vampire Queen, Alaskan Fury, Alaskan Fire. We're gonna have zero marked. Forging Zero and Zero Recall on there by Tuesday. Um, I do not write lit RPG, by the way. I, that's not me. <laughs> the, the, all of Sarah King stuff is either sci-fi or fantasy. Um, right. And uh, there's there's just so much stuff on our platform now. It's been two and a half years of us building stuff up. And uh, tons of short stories, tons of audiobooks, tons of cinematic audio, including Kaiju Battlefield Surgeon, The Stars Have Eyes. Like, just go and investigate. There's plenty for all sorts of people to, to find. So as we bring this to a close, thank you guys for being a uh, dear listener, dear viewer, for being patient as my internet crapped out because Windows wanted to do an update. Yay! Um, oh so quick. Quick question for you, uh, Jeff. Does Soundbooth sell ebooks as well? So that way, anybody that would do the, I guess Audible has the Whisper Sync, if you're familiar, where they can listen and read and it pairs it up. Do you sell ebooks so you can do an equivalent through your platform? We do not yet. Okay. And that is a whole new beast to tackle. Um, that's going to be, it's going to be a while before we find that to be a profitable venture. Uh, but, but I volunteer. Sarah <laughs> wants to do it with us. So. I do can it. People can people leave reviews on Soundbooth or do they need to go Absolutely. over to Amazon and all the other places? Absolutely. They can leave reviews at, at soundbooththeater.com. We not only ha do we have, we have the same basic format that Audible does where you can write the, the story on its own, the production on its own, uh, or actually we have one more category, which is narration. So production and script and narration. And then there's the overall score is actually, it, uh, uh, it calculates, it, it, it takes the average of all those. So Nice, nice. And so because we're talking about reviews, dear listener, dear viewer, you know it's that time again. So we'd ask you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. They help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. <laughs> and I hear every time they get their hundredth review over there on uh, Soundbooth Studio, he uh, he cooks up some unicorn steaks for his authors and his narrators, and we wouldn't want to deprive them. So, so do your part, people. That's cool. All right, Doc. 
Uh, oh, we forgot to tell them how they could find us. See what you meant. You messed me up. Yes. Guys. It's all your fault. I don't know how. I did it's nothing. It's not my fault. Your brain is so defective. Blame Papa Army. So, it's probably the Army's fault, but we'll just move on. You can find us on Twitter at <laughs> twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, Blasters and Blades Podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades Podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades Podcast. We also have a similarly named uh, Facebook page. If that's more your style, go over, like, follow, do the thing so we can get a dedicated <laughs> URL over there. We have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. Or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put it in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their bladder explodes. <laughs> All right, Doc. Bring us home. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. Please like, follow, and give us some questions or comments if you want to have them back and what questions you would want to have about Soundbooth and just audiobooks in general. So on behalf of the absentee Nick Garber, who is home with the flu or some weirdness like that, what mundane thing like that, and the addle-brained JR, I'm Seska, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. And don't forget to order extra pineapple on your pizza because JR likes it like that. Yes, he 